Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country, with a pedal to the metal, with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome, listeners, and we appreciate you joining us from all across the country. In fact, all across the globe. I had letters last week from Switzerland, Germany, had two from England, from London, England, and they tell me that the situation in London, England is far worse than the American press uh, is is allowing us to know. So that is interesting uh, that the uh, Muslim Islam, radical Islam, has virtually taken over uh, London, and it is a far more dangerous place. So uh, the Conservative Party did just win a major election, and so that's a big deal, but we're hoping that uh, they can wrestle back that country. Um, So we appreciate you joining us, no matter where you're from. Uh, Tonight, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to summarize 1st and 2nd Corinthians in less than five minutes. If you think that's going to happen, then maybe I have some land to sell you, some waterfront property in in Nevada, in the desert in Nevada. Uh, So I'm going to summarize 1st and 2nd Corinthians in less than five minutes, and we're going to start our head-first dive into Thessalonians. So we we really uh, appreciate you joining us. Our bellies are full. We have so much good food. We have a lot of lamb and a lot of different meatballs. We got great chocolate chip cookies from Northwest Philly. We got all kinds of hoagies and fried chicken and you name it, we have it. So if your belly's not full, you should be here because we'll fill your belly. Look, you don't have to come for the meal if you don't want. Uh, There's more chocolate chip cookies and brownies for us if you don't come. But we'd love to have you here. It's a lot of fun. We have a good time. So uh, if you don't want to eat, you can come right before 530 when we go live and right here on Blog Talk Radio. This is how we do it in our Kehala. You do it how you want at your church. This is how we do it. We are politically incorrect, and we cut it straight. We go straight to the point. We are unmistakably pro-Israel and pro-American. I am the Black Robe Regiment. We use the appropriate and accurate Hebrew words for the characters and places in Scripture. I don't pretend to be Jewish, though I would be proud to be Jewish. Remember, the pens of the Bible were predominantly held by Hebrew people, teaching us through their shared sacred struggle and their experiences of faith. The Hebrew people are the original people of the land, and they are the original people of our faith. We are not their origin or even perfecter of their faith. So here's how it works. Yeshua is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord is salvation. 
The English spelling of Yeshua is Joshua. However, when translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua became Iesus. The English spelling for Iesus is Jesus. It's like the game of telephone played over at least 2,000 years. And I, What I did was I chose to cut out the middleman and the thousands of years and just call him by his original and actual name, Yeshua. Now, please, this is very important. I under-represent how important this is every week on this and on my Monday show. Very, very important. While you have the chance, click on follow and subscribe here at blogtalkradio.com backslash the ninja pastor. Uh, there's a subscribe button there um, if you can click on that. If you use Twitter and Facebook, follow us at the ninja pastor and also on Facebook. Click on sign up at facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. Sean, our uh, great military, active duty military fireman who is at work. Um, they're protecting the aircraft today. Uh, we appreciate him. We miss him. And uh, also, you can, uh, or somebody was saying to me this week, reminding me to remind all of you that the website, theninjapastor.com, is down. We are, I think, in our final week of rebuilding. I have to talk to the web lady at Truevine Web Creation. She's the one that's doing that, and uh, so I have to talk to her and see how much longer we think we'll be. But there'll be a lot of cool stuff there once we get back up and running. And remember, the chat room is uh, open for your questions and comments. That's a great way to submit questions. So okay, so here's the first and second Corinthians summary we didn't get to last week, and then we're going to dive headlong into Thessalonians. So Shaul sums up the whole letter, and a lot of this I rely on David Stern's commentary because the complete uh, Jewish, uh, the complete Jewish, what do they call it? the Jewish New Testament commentary? I think, uh, but it's on the complete Jewish Bible. It's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. It explains a lot of things. You know, you hear me talk a lot about, um, you hear me talk a lot about the culture. You hear me talk a lot about the language. You hear me talk a lot about. Um, the worldview, what was happening. You hear me talk a lot about that, and that's very important because he's using a letter here to communicate to the Corinthians. He's, it's pretty obvious in First and Second Corinthians when he did these letters, the emissary Shaul, or the Apostle Paul, as most uh, English-speaking people would, would call him, um, he wrote this letter with a lot of care. He was very careful about how he wrote the letter. Um, he didn't want to put them off. He didn't want to make them angry. He didn't want to hurt their feelings. He didn't want to stunt their growth. Uh, he wanted to regard them as spiritual babies. He talks about that in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. And he said that they resembled skittish, squirrely children or adolescents unable to concentrate. So for this reason, uh, the structure, the letter's structure suits today's people. And by today's people, I mean today, us, here, uh, the people all around the United States and around the world, because we learn differently. We have teachers. We have retired teachers in the room. Um, and it's inarguable that we learn differently now. The expectations in the American education system is very different. So we learn differently. Um, we are used to, and at some point I'm going to go back to the radio audience. will just miss out. Another good reason to join us live. Um, we're going to go back to doing some multimedia presentations. We used to do an awful lot of that. And Thessalonians suits a little better for that. Uh, it's a little better for that than Corinthians. The, the radio audience really would miss out on too much. Uh, I did look to see if there was a way that I could 
put the multimedia presentation while retaining my copyrights on them uh, on the website and also on the um, the different you know the different outlets that I have. And at this point, we haven't figured out how to best do that because they're huge files. So once we get that figured out, we will we will fi- we'll figure it out and we'll get it there for you. So in earlier area, eras, uh, people learned differently, especially Hebrew people. Uh, and even today, Jews learn, the Hebrew people learn differently than we do. They're in it to win it. They're all in. Uh, some, the best education system is really in Israel. Um, the best agricultural system is in Israel. The best science and technology system is in Israel. The most inventions per capita most patents per capita, Israel. Uh, they're really great learners, and uh, their their intellectual level is very, very high, comparatively speaking. The difference is, is nowadays we have to have one little bit at a time. And my audience is to be commended because you guys have a tremendous, um, you have a really unbelievable attention span compared to many, many other places because so a lot of other people and a lot of other places, they just don't. If you go more than 20 minutes, my lands, you've lost them. They're just not going to make it. Uh, they'll be fade. They'll be sleeping. They'll be doing all these things. Uh, the fact that I'm armed, I think, helps keep people awake. I don't know. Hey, it might be interesting for you to know this has nothing to do. Well, it kind of does. Um, I had publicists and uh, radio people look at my program what I do, uh, what they call your reach, and look at my reach, and especially the radio program on Monday, they pointed out the fact that uh, the modern adult listener must be grabbed within the first three minutes, and that the music prior to the introduction can't last longer than 20 seconds, or you lose one-third of your, of your audience, one-third. You lose them in the first three minutes. Isn't that unbelievable? A whole third of your audience, if your music prior to introduction is more than 20 seconds, 20 seconds long, um, you, you lose that one third, especially if it's repeated weekly. No matter how good the show is, no matter how compelling the host is, no matter how excellent and pertinent the material is, that's today. That's what we need, uh, that's what we need to realize, that we're an attention deficit nation. Uh, tomorrow on the radio show, Collision of Faith and, Faith and Politics at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'm interviewing two great patriots. Uh, the first one I'm interviewing is Drago. Uh, Drago is, uh, I won't tell you too much now because I don't want you to miss out on it, but he went, uh, he was uh, from Poland, and he was actually a political prisoner. He worked in the Gulag, uh, hard labor for two years for opposing communism. And he uh, he wanted to come to America so bad he did, and as a young man uh, he came to America and then he he felt it was every American's obligation to serve so he joined the Navy he was the number one recruit in his recruit class uh, at Great Lakes um, out in uh, Michigan and he or is it Illinois Great Lakes Illinois I think it's Great Lakes Illinois and he. Uh, and then that wasn't enough for him, so he went on to be one of the most famous Navy SEALs we've ever had. And I've talked to many Navy SEALs who have worked with Drago. He's now since retired. And they said, you go into the worst situation, you want Drago 
at the lead. He was a uh, he was his specialty was breacher. First through the door. So he's and you feel like he doesn't need a battering ram if any of you have ever seen him. Uh still all these years retired, he doesn't look like he's missed a beat. But his story is compelling. It's riveting. Uh he's going to talk about, you know, obviously we're going to talk about his life, the inspiration of his life, but we're also going to talk about his uh the things that are near and dear to him. And one of the things that he and I are both passionate about, one of the reasons why I wanted to have him on the show, was because he really looks out after Gold Star families so that they don't get taken. Uh, because there's a lot of that going on. It's really tragic, but it's true. Gold Star families get taken advantage of every single day. And so he he has really been on the front lines of fighting that. So he's going to be on. Drago's going to be on. And then uh, after Drago is on... Uh, to round out the show, uh, New York Times bestseller Eric Stackelbeck, author of ISIS Exposed. He's the author of many books, but ISIS Exposed is his latest book, already a bestseller. Uh, it will it will slam you in your seat. It will wake you up. If nothing else does, it will wake you up. So he's going to be on the show tomorrow. So hopefully we'll be able to keep at least one-third of the audience's attention tomorrow. So here were some points that I, I felt like were important, and I agree with uh, David Stern uh, on this, uh, loosely related points in basically what it is, is Shaul or the Apostle Paul, the Emissary Paul, has uh, essentially written a sermon to the Corinthian people. So we're going to summarize this and we're going to dive in. So five minutes, the clock starts now. But first of all, he's telling you, look, I'm not a failure. He's taken a lot of heat. He's gotten beat down, uh, literally and figuratively. You know, it was not a safe thing to travel, especially if you were Shaul, if you were traveling, not a safe thing. Uh, There were a lot of people out to get him. And when they caught him, they beat him up. They did all kinds of other things. Terrible, terrible things. But he wasn't a failure. And he wanted to make that clear. Look, you know, yes, you're struggling. And yes, it's a tough time as the church, although they didn't know it was the church. That's a funny thing. When we look back, we we hear, we use the term the church, the early church. You know what they didn't know? They didn't know they were the early church. They just thought they were a group of people continuing to meet. They were just now messianic. Uh, they were believers in the Messiah. They still did all the the, the you know the Torah, uh, you know the obedience under the Torah. They still did all that, but they observed and they agreed that Yeshua Hamashiach was indeed the risen. Son of God. Next thing he says, I consider my weaknesses to be strengths. Man, that's powerful. Most of us consider our weaknesses to be weaknesses. Most of us really struggle with our weaknesses, our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And we let our weaknesses beat us down. And that's a shame because a lot of times if we look at them appropriately, if we manage them appropriately, our weaknesses can really become our strengths. And that's the sad thing about it. But we'll elaborate a little bit more when we talk in Thessalonians. The next thing that that he was really pointing out is, look, I don't operate in the flesh. Now, that's churchy words for I don't operate out of my own strength, my own will. I operate out of the power of God through me. I operate, and this is number four, I operate by God's power. And then he's real clear. He says, look, everything I do, I do for you people. Air quotes the church. I do all this for you guys, and you're important to me, and I want you to know how important you are to me, and I do all this for you. 
And then, number six, as the Messiah's emissary, I carry God's authority. Wow. Wow. He carries, and he says this, he carries God's authority. And folks, that alone would get him killed by non-Messianics. That alone would get him killed by the by the, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and all these. I mean, that, that was heretical to say that you carried God's authority. I am straightforward and honest. It really? <laughs> Let me read you the one before. As the Messiah's emissary, I carry God's authority. The very next thing he says is, look, I'm straightforward and honest. Wow. Yeah, I guess. You're not afraid of dying either. Then he says, my letters are to benefit you. Now, who's the you here? Who's the you? It's not us. The people he was writing to. One of the problems with the Western Evangelical Church, uh, and this is mostly resides with pastors and theologians, is we make everything in the Bible about us. What we do is we go in and we say, ooh, this applies to today. And many of the truths apply to today. Indeed, they do. But some of, some of the messages in the Bible are not for us. They're not for us. Can we learn from them? Absolutely. But these messages were not for us. When he says, uh, my letters are to benefit you, he is specifically talking about the Corinthian church, the, the, the Messianics. Then the next thing is, you are worthwhile people with great strengths. One thing I've always found is you catch a lot more flies with honey than you do with anything bitter. It's just a fact. It's just an absolute fact. And he was smart to say, to highlight where appropriate, hey, look, you guys are doing great. You're, you're really knocking it out of the park. You're really inspiring me. You're very worthwhile. And you have a lot of strengths. Um, the next thing I think is really important, and, and I think this does really touch on us. Now, all of these things that he says could be applied to the modern church or the Kehala. The Western Evangelical Church, I don't know so much. I don't know so much. I, there's so much that needs to happen in most churches across the country. Um, I think a great starting point would be for them to get my book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. In all sincerity, uh, uh, I really do. I really think that pastors, and I always say, uh, the book is either for you because you embody excellence, you pursue excellence in everything you do, or the book is about you because you are mediocre. And you never intend to rise above your mediocrity. So, but that book, I think, is helpful. I think it's very helpful because it breaks down some really powerful truths that are really quite simple. But I put them in a way that's in your face and undeniable. Anyway, shameless plug for my book. Do not be misled by pseudo-emissaries. Pretend preachers. Pretend apostles. Pretend people who say, here, I'm, I'm here as led by God, as led by the Holy Spirit. Because that happens. Does it happen now? There are many out there, uh, you know, with TV and radio. There are some with hundreds of millions in reach every week. Uh, there, there are some in Texas uh, that reach as many as 60,000, all totaled, live there in their, through their multiple services every week. 60,000 people. And then you look at the television audience and the radio audience, it's multiplied even more. Now, is there necessarily anything wrong with that, the large church? I talk about it in my book. I don't ding 
the large church. On the front page, front cover of my book, there's a large, air quotes, church. And on the back cover of my book is a little West Virginia coal town church that has a coal driveway and and has asbestos shingles. And it's just a little old church that hadn't changed over the years at all. Here's the crazy thing about it. 26 is some of the greatest preachers, theologians, writers, and thinkers came from that little church, and nobody of any significance came from the church on the first, on the front of the page. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. So there's a lot of people out there that are twisting Scripture. They're bending Scripture. They're making Scripture mean something that it doesn't mean. And they're doing it for their own benefit, for their own good, lining their pockets. I have a problem with that. I have a problem with that. I don't think, and, and, and in Thessalonians, we'll talk a little bit about it. Um, I don't feel like a pastor should starve. I, I remember when I was young, uh, that was something that you were expected. Well, he's the pastor. You know, that keeps him humble. And a lot of people left, a lot of, a lot of pastors left the pastorate as a profession, as, as, a, as their singular vocation, because they were having to go on welfare. They were embarrassed. They, their kids never got dental care. They never got health care, never did any of these things. And, and it was just a real major struggle for them. And so uh, there was a time frame over the period of 20 years where the number of pastors in the United States dropped by 43%. And that was the number one reason cited is, look, I just can't make it. I just can't make it. I can't, I can't provide for my family. So I've got to go do something. So the guys that got in this preaching business to make money and have an easy time of it while they learn something, very valuable lesson. Things aren't always as they appear. So then our suffering and weakness are for your benefit and are part of my power. Now that's a strange statement. Our suffering and weakness are for your benefit and are part of my power. Suffering and weakness. In the Western evangelical world, and really in the secular world, we don't ever look at weakness as something beneficial and powerful, do we? I don't think so. We look at weakness. People who exhibit weakness, we look at them like there's something wrong with them, like they failed in some way, uh, like there's some shortcoming, like there's some character defect or flaw. That's how we look at people now. That's, that's what we do. We look at people that way. And we make an assessment if they have suffering, if they have a weakness. Uh, I even know people, I've experienced this firsthand, you know, when I was terribly banged up and sick and hurt and all this stuff. And a guy who was my friend, allegedly, uh, came in and he was a pastor and he put on his most pastorful voice after asking everybody to leave the room. You know, I'm, I'm in bad shape. I'm flat on my back. I'm, you know. Don't know what's going to happen next. And he puts on this really churchy voice and he says, Sean, do you have any unconfessed sin, my brother? This is what he says to me is I'm, I'm, I'm barely making it. And so we have misunderstood. Now, sometimes that can be the case. It can be you're, you're weighed down by something. You're carrying something that's so heavy, a secret burden that you just need to let go. You need to let go of the burden. Sometimes we need help to let go of the burden. But the fact of the matter is, is sometimes we suffer. Sometimes we're weak. And that's okay. 
we're not always going to be strong. We're not always going to be tough. We're not always going to be 100%. That's just a fact. But the next thing that he says, our suffering and our weakness are for your benefit. Folks, suffering and weakness being for somebody's benefit. Doesn't that sound strange to you? Isn't Isn't that a strange thing? You know, look, this can help you. You know how I learned what not to do? I'm the youngest of five. And my brothers got into trouble a lot. Well, I'm not saying I was any better. I have a lot of younger, uh, the youngest in here shaking their head going, mm, I know what you're about to say. You know, I learned from their mistakes, and I'm not going to do the same thing that they did because they got in all kinds of trouble. Hey, man, I'm not trying to get in that same trouble. I'm going to learn from their, from their, air quotes, suffering and their weaknesses. So we can learn from that. And they share that with us, and they, they tell us, well, Shaul and uh, Sila, which we call them Silas, um, Timothy, all of those, you know, we're, we learn a lot through their suffering and their weaknesses and are, a par- and are part of my power. Your, your weaknesses can make you strong. Uh, there's, a, there's a statement, one of the uh, upcoming interviews on my show is Tom Shea, a, a United States Navy SEAL. Uh, he's a retired uh, Special Operations Senior Chief. And he wrote the book called Unbreakable, a powerful, powerful book. I'm going, I'm my second time through this book now, preparing for the interview. And I can tell you one of the things he says, which is not new necessarily, but how he puts it so succinct and so bluntly is internal dialogue drives human performance. What you say to yourself in your quiet of your mind, you think nobody else can hear, drives your performance. And your performance can be anything. It doesn't have to be athletic. It doesn't have to be combat. It can be, how am I going to get through today? A lot of our internal dialogue comes by what do we bathe ourselves in? What do we, what do we uh, fill our minds with? What, are, what do we study? If it's junk, if we watch junk television shows and junk radio and, and uh, you know, we read junk books, you know what? That's, it's not going to help make us strong. Our internal dialogue is going to be all negative. But if we fill our minds full of powerful things, powerful quotes, powerful stories, powerful books, powerful scripture, powerful friends, powerful encouragement, all of those things, our internal dialogue, the only tape it has to play, listen to me, tape, the only DVR it has to play is positive if you fill yourself full of those things. Surround yourself with good people. And then number 12, I will not hesitate to make use of my power when I am with you. What? I will not hesitate to make use of my power when I'm with you. His power comes from what? His suffering and weakness. And that weakness is going to benefit them. But he says, hey, I'm not afraid to use this thing. One of the things, uh, Kepha or Peter, one of the things I love so much about Peter, he was always ready to cut somebody or call down fire. As soon as somebody messes, Lord, you want me to call down fire? I'll call down I will call down fire. I'll cut their tires. I will cut their tires. So, you know, you can use the power. I don't think he had tires. Pretty sure they didn't have rubber back then. But they cut something. Guarantee that. Jesus himself said, hey, if you have two cloaks, sell one. Get you a sword. I don't think he said get you, but I'm, I'm paraphrasing. So I will not hesitate to make use of my power when I'm with you. 
Shaul never concentrates on any one of these points for very long, and I think that's powerful. I think it's really smart. For preachers across the country, we have to learn from that. I have to learn it because I'll, I'll beat a point to death. You all know that firsthand. I will beat a point into submission. So uh, I will. It's just what I do. And so, But he doesn't concentrate on any one of these points. He hits them, and then he backs off of them. Then he goes back to them and hits them again, and he backs off them again. He turns up the pressure, turns it down. It's like a valve. An excellent use of that. This will give you a, a, a good mental picture. Passion of the Christ. Who has seen the Passion of the Christ? Powerful, powerful movie. And and uh, Mel, in, in his incredible wisdom, uh, really a genius, genius guy who came under the attack of the enemy so fiercely, so fiercely. But there's no doubting the anointing of, of Adonai Elohim Baruch Hashem on the on that movie and the processes and the experiences surrounding that movie. But Mel had a really interesting idea. He wanted to take the audience to crank that linear pressure, turn that pressure valve, that intensity valve, turn it up, 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 and just about to the point where the people are about to break. Till the, the pressure is about to explode, back it off just a little bit. And then turn it up a little bit more and go past that point just a little bit. And then back it down just a little bit. Back it down. And then bring it back up until the culmination of the, the crucifixion, the murder, the torture and murder of Yeshua Hamashiach. And then we have that wonderful, great relief of the empty tomb. Praise God. Praise God. Genius. So he so Shaul doesn't concentrate on any one of the parts for very long. He just keeps going to them. He places them alongside of other texts, alongside other other lessons, other sequences, other contexts. And then he the other thing is is uh, how were these letters relayed? I mean, did they did they do photocopies? Maybe copies for everybody. Everybody gets a copy. Hey, Shaul wrote us a letter, everybody. So we copied it in the mimeograph. You know, right. Take a picture with your iPhone and then send it around. Uh, no, we really didn't do that back then. It was read aloud. One person was designated to read it aloud, or multiple people were de- were uh, designated to read it aloud to the congregation. Some of his points, though, through sheer absolute repetition, no matter what, they sink in and they motivate change. Again, internal dialogue drives human performance. What do you fill in your head with? You know, I think tonight is the, uh, I don't want to give an ad for it, but the Billboard, is it Billboard, young people? Billboard Billboard Music Awards or something is on tonight. And it's funny, thank you. And so a couple nights, uh, a couple weeks ago, or maybe a few weeks ago, the uh, Country Music Awards, the CMAs were on. What a difference. Oh, man, I, I, I DVR'd that because they were so good. Uh, there was a lot of performers giving thanks to God, thanking their families. Uh, they were, uh, you know, very appreciative to their fans. Um, they represented themselves very well on stage. There was no worry of profanity. The outfits weren't, you know, it wasn't basically like a porn show. Uh, this this billboard, I I will guarantee you, uh, the MTV Music Awards. I I watched a clip of that and I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. It was just crazy. Just crazy, uh, and a bunch of stupid political statements by people who can't 
to me, barely even read. They must not barely be able to read because talk about short attention span. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. So Shaul wants the Corinthians to become perfect without having to use his authority to deal sharply with them because the Lord gave him this authority for building up and not for tearing down. That's important. He makes it clear, look, I don't, you know, it's like Madea. Don't make me get my purse. You know, uh, you know, he doesn't want he doesn't want to have to chastise. God never wants to chastise. I don't think that's ever his first go to. He gives us so many chances, but at some point, if it has to happen, it has to happen. And this is what Shaul is saying here. Then there's this uh, holy kiss thing. I, you know what? I don't know what the holy kiss was. I know it was a pure thing. I know culturally they kissed on both sides of the face, men and women. None of that, but that's cool. If you are, um, I'll give I'll give a hug. Um, it's warmth and love. It's it's uh, tenderness. It's a closeness, but entirely free of improper and unseemly overtones. And uh, so that's the thing. I think, yeah, I think if you read back over First and Second Corinthians now after. And in the radio audience, you guys can listen to the whole series for free. Go back over and listen to it for free. If you missed any part of it, you're welcome to listen to it for free. Uh, you just download it, listen to it whenever you want. And I won't take up too much space on your on your memory. So Thessalonians, finally we're here, right? And June 5th, I get my dental appliances taken off, so I'll be able to say Thessalonians without struggling. So here it is, and I'll try not to interrupt myself. I'm rude that way, so maybe I will. From Shaul, Sila, which is Silas, Shaul again is Paul, and Timothy. So, okay, so this is a letter. I'll interrupt myself up front. Um, this is a letter from all three of them, really. They're, they're kind of all, it's a team letters. They've tag teamed this letter. So who's it to? It's important to know who the audience is. The Messianic community of the Thessalonians united with God, the Father, and the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. Grace to you and shalom. So there we have it. This is who he's writing to. So who is the audience? It's the Thessalonian church in Thessalonica. It's not us. Are there things that we can apply? Absolutely. Things we can learn, again, from their weakness, from their struggles? Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. We can, we can definitely learn from it. But don't get it twisted. It's not about us. It's about them. Sadly, even though we have this book to learn from, we make the same mistakes. We always thank God for all of you, regularly mentioning you in our prayers, calling to mind before God, our Father, what our Lord Yeshua the Messiah has brought about in you, how your trust produces action, your love, hard work, and your hope, perseverance. We know, brothers, that God has loved and chosen you that the good news we brought did not become for you only a matter of words, but also one of power. The Ruach HaKodesh, which is the Holy Spirit, and total conviction, just as you know how we lived for your sakes and when we were with you. Let me interrupt myself one more time. How, how do these people know how Shaul, Sila, and Timothy are? Because they lived with them. They were among them, because when they come to visit, they stay for a while. So they lived among them. You ever have a house guest that you think is the coolest person before they get to your house, and then after, you're like, ooh, I hope they stay for three months. I would love for them to stay. And then 28 minutes later, you're like, Lord, when are you leaving? 
And then you're like, let me get you a bus ticket. You know? <laughs> you know people like that. You you they you really think they're the greatest thing until you live with them. And then you realize not so much. Well, so they knew who they were because they knew how they were. They knew how they were because they knew who they were. They knew all that because they lived among them. They were close with them. So, yes, indeed, you indeed became imitators of us and the Lord. What is the sincerest form of flattery? Imitation. When someone says, I want to be like that. I want to be like that guy. I want to be like that woman. That's a point of flattery. That's something that you say, but you know what else it does? You know what else it does? It puts some pressure on you. If you're the person that people are looking at saying, hey, I want to be like you. You had better be doing the right thing. You want people to follow the right example. So that even though you were going through severe troubles, you received the word with joy from the Ruach HaKodesh. You received with joy the word from the Holy Spirit. Thus you became a pattern. We're going to go back up, go back and unpack all this. Don't, 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 uh, don't sweat it. We'll, we will go back and, and we'll unpack a lot of it. Thus you became a pattern for all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the Lord's message sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but everywhere your trust toward God, powerful two words, became known. Let me say that again. Thus you became a pattern for all the believers. Okay, let me just go back to that. A pattern for all the believers. When you pattern yourself, you're imitating. But when it's a pattern, like uh, I'm not a sewer or a, what do you call, a needle stitcher point thing. So I don't know, a seamstress. I'm not a seamstress. What do they follow? Patterns, right? Oh, I went and bought the new pattern for this, that. Uh, You know, I don't know any of that stuff. But what I do know is that they do that. They get a pattern, and then you follow the pattern. And if you follow the pattern, it's like a, we love good food here. It's like a recipe, if you follow the recipe and you do things, people say, oh, I wish I was a good cook, and but I'm not. And I say, can you follow directions? Are you good at math? If you can follow directions and you're good at math, you can cook. Because if you do it exactly like it says, you are following a pattern. It, Susan says it doesn't work for me. But I always say if you're good at math, there's no reason you can't be a good cook. If you're good at science, there's no reason you can't be a good cook. You have to put a little something something into it. That's what I like to do. But anyway, for the Lord's... <laughs> that boy's not right. The Lord's message sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but everywhere your trust toward God became known. Notice he doesn't say trust of God became known. And how does it become known? First of all, it's your trust toward God. I am trusting God. I am blasting my trust of God to God. I'm not waiting for him to come and receive my trusting of him. I'm, I'm proactive. I'm trusting toward God. And those other people all around them became known. How did they become known? 
How does their trust, their faith, and their hope in God, their perseverance, how does it become known? By doing it. By living it. You don't ever fail. If you think that these people in this church never failed, you got another thing coming. We fail, right? We all fail. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all do. This expectation of perfection uh, is we're to pursue that. We're to pursue holiness and rightness. But the fact of the matter is we are human. God made us human, and he knows that we're jacked up. We have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. But we have, we have that. It's sort of like the rubber band draws us back to faith, draws us back to our hope, draws us back to our joy. If we stretch it, it will pull us back even harder if we trust it. Anyway, I thought that was a powerful thing. Everywhere your trust toward God became known. The Lord's message. Listen, I've, I've talked about it in multiple sermons and speeches. Uh, if you have, you know, follow me to the First Baptist Church of Macedonia on your on your uh, car, your bumper sticker, you have that on your car, but you drive crazy, you don't observe the speed limit, and you run red lights, and you don't learn, you know, what your lane change signal is for. You bought the 10 clicks a month plan. You don't want to go over that because, you know, right, your turn signal, you only got the 10 clicks a month plan. You know, you're like, oh, I don't want to use up all my clicks. Right? them to follow you. I don't want them to follow you because you're not doing the right thing. You cut people off and you're ignorant. You wave with your angry finger. You know, we don't want that. Your trust is not going to be known. All the bad stuff's going to be known. The result is that we don't need to say, I love this. Shaul is awesome. The result is that we don't need to say anything since they themselves keep telling us about the welcome we received from you and how you turned to God from idols. To serve the true God. Now, people are tripped out when I tell them, look, uh, early, air quotes, Judaism, there was a lot of mysticism. There was a lot of, you know, little trinkets and little things, and there was a lot of mysticism. There was some wild stuff. And people think that it was all people going to synagogue, and but, you know, um, Kabbalah and... Uh, all these different things, there was all these different sects, and some were really crazy weird. Um, there was a lot of idolic and idol worship. There's just some crazy stuff going on. There's just crazy stuff going on. Hey, we're always going around, you know. They were kind of wild, folks, kind of wild. So anyway, so he was smart to talk about that and, and how they turned from that and turned to Christ. There's also a powerful correlation because some people said, hey, you're worshiping Hamashiach. You're worshiping Yeshua. You're worshiping an idol. You've made him an idol. And he was careful to, to address that very briefly. The result is we don't need to say anything since they themselves keep telling us about the welcome we receive from you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the true God, the one who is alive, and to wait for his son Yeshua, whom he raised from the dead, to appear from heaven and rescue us from the impending fury of God's judgment. Don't think, folks, there's going to be some crazy stuff going down here on earth. I say it's closer than we can imagine. Honestly, I, every day I think, wow, we're, we, we could be right around the corner. But you know what? The thing is, the sad thing is, as bad as things are now, they're going to get a whole lot worse. You know, the people... Uh, the Christians, the Yazidis, and, and the Christians around the world that are getting their heads cut off by ISIS tomorrow, we're going to learn a lot about that. We're going to learn a lot about, you know, uh, 
Twin Cities in Minnesota, hotbed for violent jihad in the United States. Hotbed. The number one guy that the uh, Syrian ISIS, the Syrian fighters listen to, is an imam in the United States. Sounds to me like that's a target. <laughs> that's a cranium in need of ventilation. But, you know, apparently that's not how we work here. The one who is alive and to wait for his son Yeshua, who, whom he raised from the dead, to appear from him to rescue us from the impending fury of God's judgment. You yourselves know. So, okay, hold on a second. Let me go back. Impending fury of God's judgment. But God is love. My God would never, my God doesn't this, my God doesn't do that. Folks, come on now. People say, people say, what's that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the thing is, is we, we have something very, very interesting here. Impending fury of God's judgment, which I have people tell me all the time. In fact, I got in a big thing. I think her, I think her Twitter name is, and you'll recognize this as a theological genius, Sexy Sport Fan. At Sexy Sport Fan, I kid you not. On Twitter, we had a big thing going back and forth. I think you might have seen it. A big thing going back and forth. And all she kept saying is, is you're spreading hate. You're Satan. You're evil. You're the devil. False prophet. Blah, blah, blah. God is love. Well, I would encourage her to read the New Testament in Thessalonians early on. It talks about what we need to be rescued from is the impending fury of God's judgment. That does not sound like to me. Yeah, everything. Everything is lovely. You yourselves know, brothers, that our visit to you was not fruitless. On the contrary, although we had already suffered and been outraged in Philippi, as you know, we had the courage, united with our God, to tell you the good news, even under great pressure. Now, let me say this about that. The, the persecution that is being suffered, I alluded to it a minute ago, all around the world, is coming here. You hear all this talk about Sharia law. Uh, you know, you've got crazy people in Congress that say, hey, there's nothing wrong with Sharia law. Let them have their own law. Let them have their own law. They're dumb as a box of rocks. I'm telling you, there should be a test to be able to get into Congress. There should be a test. Too many people go to one side of Guam, it's going to flip over. The dude is baked. He is baked. His brain is done. Sheila Jackson Lee, you know, she's got a Yale degree. Yale has really stepped backwards, haven't they? If I were them, I'd sue her and say, hey, you know what? We'd appreciate it if you'd stop telling people where you went to school. Yale is stale. So the, what I'm trying, the point I'm trying to make is these people have no clue. Uh, and, and they talk about this sexy sport fan, at sexy sport fan. She's talking about loving people and, and all this stuff, and you hate Muslims, and you're a racist bigot, and all this stuff. I'm just calling it as it is. I'm looking at history. I'm looking at facts. I'm looking at data. I'm looking at what they did, what they do, and what they say they're going to do. I trust them, because what they said they were going to do, they did. And now what they're saying they're going to do, they're going to do. And here's a newsflash. I don't want to be beheaded. I don't want to be set on fire. I don't want to have my hands and feet cut off. I don't want to be hanged. I don't want to be thrown off a roof. I don't want to be buried up to my neck and stoned. I don't want to have any of these things happen to me. Newsflash. The way you beat the infidels is you kill them. 
They've never, ever capitulated in all of history. They've never, there's never been a compromise that they've ever been made with them that they've ever kept. You know there's never been a treaty ever made with Islam in all of history that's ever been kept. Not for nothing, but that could be where our great pressure is coming from. They were under great pressure there. Shaul is talking about, anyway, for the appeal we make does not flow from error or from impure motives. Neither do we try to trick people. Folks, let me say this about that. There's a lot of hip, trendy, cool pastors out there who have a lot of really cool tricks up their sleeve, emotional manipulation. My great, uh, the president of Masters and and my great friend, Dr. Fry, Dennis Fry, Navy veteran, I always make a point to say that when I was born, you were in the Navy. No offense. Just pointing that out to him. Not making a reference to his age, if he's listening, at all. 1965, he was in the Navy. He was already in the Navy before I was born. I'm just saying, putting that out there. So, uh, good thing he's not grading any of my work now, right? So, Dr. Fry, he he, he wrote a, a really powerful piece uh, called Whipped Up Emotionalism. And it talks about how tricksters, hucksters, pulpit pimps, in order, and it really, folks, it, all it is is it, you know, yes, there's a lot of people that respond to air quotes the spirit, the calling of the spirit, and they come forward and they get touched and all those things. And I'm not going to dispute any of those things. But what it comes down to is dollars and cents. It's all about manipulating the pocketbook. That's the bottom line. That's the fact. So they don't use tricks. Uh, they're saying here we don't trick people. Instead, since God has tested us and found us to be entrusted with good news, this is how we speak: not to win favor with people, but with God who tests our hearts. Now, how do you know you can pass a test? You have to take the test. How do you know you can withstand the rigors of something? You have to take the test. How do you know that you can survive combat? You have to be in combat. You can train and train and train and train and train. Newsflash, you only know that you can until you survive combat. So you can be successful in combat. Emergency room nurses, they receive a lot of training before they ever go into NER docs, trauma docs, receive a lot of training. But you know where they really learn? In the trauma room. In trauma one. When somebody's life depends on your quick thinking, your decisiveness, that's where they learn. That's why they get thrust into that so early on in their process. I used to always question it, but I said, you know, wouldn't you want to learn early on? How much do you want to invest in somebody that can't handle battle? You know, it's, it's so critical. It's so important. But he was being tested. He's talking about the test that God did on them. But then he's also trusting about, he's saying he was entrusted to win favor with people, not with people, but with God. Because God tests their hearts. God finds a way to win, work out the messed up stuff, the messed up people, to to weed out the bad seed. He finds a way. He does it every time. And it always comes to light. For as you know, never did we employ flattering talk, nor did we put on a false front to mask greed. God is witness. He doesn't say, as God is my witness. He says, God is witness. What does that mean? That is an idiom. And in Hebrew, it means God sees and tests and knows everything. Three words. God is witness. Hashem sees it all. 
nor did we seek human praise either from you or from others. That's really important. I tell you, I love it when I give speeches for people. To, I've, I've gotten been very blessed to get standing ovations and different things um, when people are particularly touched. I love it. It touches my heart. It lifts me. It lifts me to see people bobbing their heads. I love when I finish a show to have a lot of letters and emails and all that stuff, people saying not just, hey, you're great, but, you know, uh, one area I think you could improve in. I have one particular person I haven't figured out based on the name, is it a boy or a girl, uh, gives me really, really interesting feedback. Uh, this, I don't know, boy or girl, uh, the, one of the feedbacks they gave was, your mouth is too close to the mic. Back the heck up. And then, and then shortly thereafter, look, if you're going to yell, back up further. <laughs> Apparently I yell on my show. I don't even know that. Did you say you agree with that? Oh, yeah, I don't remember yelling, but maybe I do. Maybe I do. Voice modulation, we call that. So anyway, as emissaries of the Messiah, we could have made our weight we could have made our weight felt. In other words, we could have shown you the power that's behind us. We could have shown you, look, y'all, you better listen or you're going to pay. But instead, we were gentle when we were with you, like a mother feeding and caring for her children. Boy, what a great analogy, right? We, we hear all the time about how in Jesus' time, women were really marginalized. Women, women were worthless. Women... But here we have these, these great preachers, these great leaders, using women in the most vulnerable place with child, nurturing their children. We hear him using them as a great example. We saw Yeshua do the same thing. I would say that's a very liberal left move to, to place in biblical history something that, quite frankly, is just not there. It's just not there. The marginalizing of women. So devoted to you that we were glad to share with you not only God's good news, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Don't miss what he just said. We were so devoted to you that we were glad to share with you not only God's good news, but also our own lives. In other words, we're going to give you all it takes. How much am I willing to do? How much am I willing to give to deliver the good news and to minister to you? All it takes. I'm willing to do some. No, that's not. You'll hear from Drago tomorrow. How much was he willing to give in Buds? All it took. Whatever it took. The people that succeed in Buds, people that succeed in, in, uh, in um, Delta training, the people that succeed in Ranger School, the people that succeed in uh, Marcom, the Marine uh, Special, uh, you know, like the Alpha Raiders and all those. Uh, it, it, it's you've got to be willing to give all it takes. Until you're willing to give all it takes, you won't succeed. Look, I'm willing to give all it takes, whatever it takes. I'm willing to do all that. Until you're willing to do that, nobody's really going to pay a whole lot of attention to what you have to say. You had become very dear to us. This Kehala, this group of people, everybody, I'm t telling you, if you listen to my speeches that I give in other places, I always talk about this group because you're very dear to me. It's not that other people aren't dear to me, but this is my home. These are my home folk. For you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship, how we worked night and day, not to put a burden on any of you, 
while we were proclaiming good news to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless our behavior was in the sight of you believers. For you know that we treated each one of you the way the fa- way a father treats its children. We encouraged you and comforted you and appealed to you to lead lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Another reason we regularly thank God is that when you heard the word of God from us, you received it not merely as a human word, but as it truly is, God's word, which is at work in you believers. For brothers, you came to be imitators of God's congregations in Yehuda uh, that are united with the Messiah Yeshua. You suffered the same things from your countrymen as they did from the Judeans who both killed the Lord Yeshua and the prophets and chased us out too. Now, translation doesn't mean a little, doesn't mean a lot. It means everything. Next week, I'm going to go back and I'm going to explain because we're out of time. I'm going to go back and explain why this passage and the words the translator used, which are absolutely accurate, reveal other translations anti-Semitism. Now, that's a huge statement to make. I'm willing to make it because I can back it up. I can prove it. Uh, But this passage, I'm going to read you other translations, uh, even some translations that I actually use in in my academic work. Uh, You will see that this translation, it is specifically, and this is the correct way to say, the intent and the thought, why other translations are absolutely anti-Semitic. They are displeasing God and opposing all mankind by trying to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be delivered. Their object seems to always seem, seems to be always to make their sins as bad as possible, but God's fury will catch up with them in the end. Hey, you know what? We're going to have to stop here, but I'm going to come back next week, and we will, we will finish this up, particular part. Um, so don't, don't be forlorn. It's okay. We have 90 seconds. Did you hear the the computer girl? She said 90 seconds. We've got 90 seconds. So with that 90 seconds, I'm going to encourage you to do two things. One, before next week, what I I would like you to do is read. It's super easy. I mean, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians take you just a little bit. It doesn't take long. Um, Read that. uh, And then when you you read that, you'll be really prepared for next week. Because next week, what we're going to do is we'll finish the reading of the first uh, the first Thessalonians. We're going we're gonna to finish that, and then we're going to really unpack it. We're going to help you understand what it is it all means and how it you. And we're going to talk about next week why night is really day. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor and follow dr sean on twitter at the ninja pastor and on facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash god in country radio and check out all the free messages archive shows and buy dr sean's critically acclaimed book excellence killed the church how mediocrity is destroying america at www drshawngreener.com Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country.
thank you for joining us in this fight. <laughs>